All right, look at chapter 10, verse 19, and then we'll flip over to 13, verse 2. Verse 19 of the 10th chapter says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In my Bible, the word day is capitalized. It's not normally, but it's capitalized because it has a reference to the day that Christ would come back again. And then look over in chapter 13, verse 2, 1 and 2. It says, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. How about that? I wanted to talk about these verses because I think they have a lot to do with prayer. As our pastor has been talking about prayer. Because prayer is when we commune with God. And that's what the writer is saying here as he talks about the ways in which we now enter the Holy of Holies where only the priest could enter before. Only the high priest could go there. And remember, they would even tie a rope around his ankle and they had a little bell on him and in case he died or got hurt, they could pull him back out from inside. But the notion that the Hebrews writer has here is to say, since we have confidence, something new, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain. Remember, the curtain was torn. The curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, there was a curtain, and it was torn how? From the bottom up? From the top to the bottom. I think it was very interesting and very curious that the writers would clarify that for us because it was to be sure that we understood that this was not two men holding on at the bottom with a knife and ripping the curtain open, but this curtain was torn from the very top down, from the very top where no one would be able to get there without a ladders or support, etc. But the scriptures tell us that it was torn from the top to the bottom. And so what the emphasis here is that there's been an openness now. There is a communion. There's a coming together between God and his people. And that's what the writer here is saying. Since there's a new and living way opened for us through the curtain... That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, meaning Jesus Christ, so he is the priest, and he invites us into this holy place. He invites us to commune with him. And, and we do so with confidence, not fear, not trepidation. 
not a sense of timidity, but a sense of confidence that we have the full faith, the full instruction, the full strength to be in the very presence of God. And that's what prayer is about. It's about being in God's presence, communing with Him, talking with Him, and allowing Him to share with us what He would like for us to do. And He says in verse 22, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He's inviting us to draw near. He's inviting us to understand that we now have acceptance. In the Jewish custom of the day, if a Jew would ask you to sit at table with him, that was his way of accepting you into his fellowship. He was accepting you as a person, as a human being. The way he would not accept you would not invite you to sit at table with him. But if they invited you to sit at table then that meant they were accepting you as part of the fellowship. And that was terribly important in that day. And so the writer here says God has invited us to fellowship with him, to sit at his table. And therefore, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. In other words, you can take it to the bank. If Jesus says, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to provide for you, he will. If he says, I'm going to come back and get you and take you home with me, he will. Whatever he says, he will be good on his promise, is what the writer is saying. And so he says, because we have that confidence, because we have that communication with God, because we have the communion with God, because we have the confidence before God, then how are we to treat each other at church? Listen to what he says. Let us consider how we may spur one another. Gig each other a little bit. Not just in a playful way, but in a way to push us forward. To help us become more than we thought we could ever be. To understand more than we ever thought we could understand. To comprehend. To have the lights come on in our life. To have the lights come on in our head, in our eyes, in our heart. To realize that there's so much more. And so I think the writer is saying is don't pamper each other all the time. But push each other a little. Encourage each other. And there's nothing wrong with that. Spur each other is what he said. Is that like riding a horse? What do you do when you want the horse to gallop and get up? You spur him. with Yeah. You kick him. Years ago, my little brother and I decided we would ride my cousin's, my uncle's horse. Well, we were city slickers. We knew very little about that sort of a thing. So I got on the horse first, on the saddle, and I was doing just fine. Until my little brother wanted to ride with me, and he got behind me. And he decided he wanted the horse to run. Well, behind me, he's sitting close to the flanks. And so what does he do? He kicks him in the flanks. And what does that horse do? He begins to buck. I have never been on a bucking horse before in my life. And we are holding on for dear life. (laughs) We jumped off that horse as quick as we could. It wasn't like the one at the mall that you get on for a quarter and it rocks you back and forth. No. This sucker was playing for real. And luckily, my uncle hollered at him and he's calmed down. But he kicked him right in the flanks. 
And that spurred him all right. That, that caused him to react a whole lot more than we ever imagined. I think that's what the writer is saying here. Let's consider. Let, let's think about. Let's encourage each other. How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So it's not a matter of just gigging each other to be irritants or to be hateful and mean. It's trying to say, how can you help someone to grow in their faith? How can you help push them a little bit? How can you challenge them a little bit to be better than they are? I can think back over my 50 years of ministry where I had people in my church as a kid growing up who did that very thing. In the first church that I was youth director in, and the next church I was youth director in, and my first pastor. In almost every place I've been, there's been someone who has loved me enough to spur me on, to kind of kick me in the backside once in a while, to kind of say, you can do better than that. You're smarter than that. You're, you have the talent and the gift to do more than what you're doing. Apply it. And that's what we need once in a while. Isn't that what we say to our kids and our grandkids? Yeah. And we need to say it to each other. Not in a hateful way, but in an encouraging way to say, I don't think you understand the potential that you have. I don't think you're using all the gifts that God's given you. I don't think you're doing everything that you could. Because as I perceive you, you've got a vast knowledge of understanding. You have wisdom beyond your years. You have a capacity, the compassion to do so much more than you are. Why aren't you? That's not being hateful. That's pushing to say you ought to do more. You've got the potential to do so much more. So let's consider or let's determine how we can spur each other towards love and good deeds. Not meanness, not hatefulness but to enhance and to help them grow. I say often in my wedding ceremonies to the bride and the groom that they've been given the responsibility to see to it that the husband or the wife grows to their full potential as people. That's their job. It's not to belittle the other one. It's not to put them down. It's not to hold them under their thumb. It's not to restrict them. Marriage ought to be the place where we can grow if we could have any place to grow. (laughs) It ought to be the place where we can develop, where we can become the best we ever thought we could be, would be in a marriage relationship where somebody loves us so deeply that they even once in a while tell us how dumb we are or what a mistake we've made. But they do it in love, not out of hatefulness. I think that's what the writer is saying here about church members. Because you love each other, you ought to encourage and push each other. And and don't just take the status quo. Expect more from each other. Especially if the person can deliver more. If you see more in their living and in their walk and in their relationship, then by golly, push them a little. Nudge them a little. And say, you're not doing all that you can do. Because I believe you've got more in you than you're showing me. So do it, and I'll be right here with you to help you and to pray for you. I think sometimes we don't challenge each other enough. If you read the Old Testament, it's kind of sad when you read the 
stories in Samuel and Kings where it says King David didn't really give his kids any boundaries. King David really didn't care much what his sons did. And three out of the four, four out of the five didn't turn out so hot. Because he really didn't push them to be the best they could be. He didn't give them boundaries. He didn't give them expectations. He didn't give them hope and dreams. He just kind of let them do whatever they wanted to do. And that's not always the best. But expect more of an individual's gifts and talents than somewhat they're producing. That's what he says here. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Because it, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And I know you expect a preacher to say you ought to be at church on Sunday. But yeah, you should. You ought to be here on Sunday. It's not what I said. It's what, it's what it says right here. King James, King Jimmy said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Because it's bad for you when you do. Because you can get into a bad habit of not coming and being together. And I've sat around at enough tables to hear you all say, thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to come and share our concerns, our prayer requests. Yeah. And what you're saying is, I wouldn't miss this for anything. Because it gives me the opportunity to share with those that I love and those that I know love me and care about me and will pray for me from the bottom of their toes to the top of their head because they care. And so the writer says, man, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Notice that? The habit of doing. This isn't just once in a while. This is a habit. And what does a habit eventually become? A routine. (laughs) Yeah. If you don't watch it, it becomes a routine, and it can become a bad habit. And that's what the writer's saying is, you need to be together. You need to feel the support. You, You need to know not to meet just for the sake of meeting, but you meet with a purpose to encourage each other, to find support. To praise God. To lift him up. To lift each other up. Carry each other's burdens. To help your brother and your sister to grow to their full potential. And then he says in chapter 13, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I don't know if she was an angel, Rachel, but she sat by you Sunday morning. She came in just as the choir was starting there, It Is Well With My Soul. She had a backpack on. She was somewhere between 22 and 25, very attractive young lady, had on shorts. She was just traveling through town. She was from France, and her name was Fanny. I met her out in the foyer, and she said, I saw your building, and I would just like to look at it. I said, you're welcome to come in and worship. And so she did. She said, I'll I'll just stand because I've got to go catch a train. And then I noticed that she went and sat by you, and then she left when the special was over. And I said, you're welcome to stay and worship with us. She said, I'd love to, but I can't. I've got to catch a train. But let me ask you, 
is this the way worship is every week? And I've been to France, and I've been to some of their churches. They're empty. The only play people you see there are tourists to check out the big, nice, beautiful cathedrals. But she said, is this the way it is every week? And I said, yeah, for the most part, that's the way it is every week. She said, that's awesome. And went to catch her train. She was taking a backpack tour through the United States. Don't know if she was an angel, but she stopped here. And we entertained her with it as well with my soul. We entertained her by welcoming her, by allowing her to sit with us, by taking her in. Even for a short moment in time. The writer said, you never know who you're entertaining. A complete stranger could be a messenger of God. I'm not going to give value to who she was because I don't know who she was. But I think it ought to make us mindful that everybody that comes in here ought to be entertained. That's what Hebrews says. Entertain them. Treat them like family. Accept them. Love them. Make them feel welcome. I know a lot of you do that. I know that. Y'all felt welcome Sunday, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. I heard you giggle. So I knew you, I knew you felt good. But that's what we need to do. You know, we can talk about missions out there and out yonder. But when they come here to us, it's the question of how do we respond to them. Because we are a mission field right here at home. And we have people come and visit. And it's up to you and me to take the opportunity to make them feel welcomed. Because after all, you don't know who you may be entertaining. Could be angels and you're totally unaware of it. Totally. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you for the love and the concern, for the commitment, for the devotion, for the attitude that they have towards you and the stranger. Father, help us to always cultivate every day, every Sunday, every time we gather, our sense of outreach, our sense of caring, our sense of making the stranger feel welcome because one time we were all strangers here. And I'll never forget the Sunday I came with my wife and we sat behind Clinton and Joanne Wolfe and they turned around and introduced themselves. And I introduced myself as Bob Nickel and he said, oh no, you're not, that's my son-in-law. But he made me feel welcomed and made me feel a part. Father, help us to always make the stranger feel a part. Because how do we know whether or not we're entertaining angels totally unaware. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. See you Sunday.